turning our trials into triumphs. Now, these are tough times. These are days of trials for sure. Nobody gets to escape them. And I don't want to be a downer this morning, but let me just for a moment be very real with each of us. Let's just recount for a moment some of the headlines that I've read this week, and you have too. U.S. economy, job losses worse than in the Great Depression of 1929. Supply chain interrupted. Food shortages are now predicted in America, including meat and some uh, vegetables. Another headline, U.S. deaths from coronavirus top 30,000. Another headline, widest tornado in history hits on Easter Sunday. Another headline, mega drought in southwest USA, worst in 1,000 years. Another headline, police in tactical gear break up church service on Easter. Who would have ever thought? America! In addition to the physical toll that's happening in America, the mental health perhaps is even more widespread. The problems that are going on, emotional distress in people's hearts. They said recently, last few weeks, that the national hotline for providing emergency help received nine times more calls than it did last year this time. They are fielding tens of thousands of calls. They took a poll, and 45% of Americans, and I'm part of that 45%, say it's taken a serious toll on their mental health. It is. It is just, frankly, getting on my nerves, <laughs> just to be honest. But I will tell you this, even though these feelings of anger and depression, they're saying that now people are slipping into even feelings of grief because of all the stuff that's going on. And then when you add to that the thousands of families in America who are suffering the devastating loss of a loved one. And of course, that just added to the everyday losses that happen. Thousands of cases of people die from heart disease or cancer every day. Of course, folks, uh, it is just a crazy world. And in America, the political landscape has gone bonkers. I mean, I, I thought it's been crazy, but I'm telling you, it is absolutely crackers. It's just unbelievable what's happened. There is no question that these are unusual and trying times. But then again, is it really so unusual? I honestly, from reading Scripture, I find that it's really not unusual. In fact, as believers and as Christians, it is quite normal to go through trials. In fact, that's why so much of the Bible actually has to deal with it. Now today, we are going to move into a small but powerful book, the book of James. And the book of James, that wonderful man of God, that wonderful prophet of God, that wonderful pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he reminds us that even though we go through a trial, God is going to do something if we'll let him. He will turn that trial into a triumph. And so let's join together. Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer in honor to God. Father, we just come to you and I ask God, Holy Spirit, that Lord, you would just gather our minds and our spirit. And Lord, we long to be with one another in personal fellowship. Lord, I do pray that I recognize that the King's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And so God, I pray that you will turn the heart of the officials in our area and across America, across the world, and that, Lord, you will speak to them and let my people go. And I pray that, Lord, you'll bring us together, that, Lord, you'll keep us safe, and, Lord, you will do a work today in this message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go to the book of James, chapter 1. Now, let me just remind you that if any book of the Bible is instructive, this book is practical. This is blue denim Christianity for sure. James is the, uh, very likely at least, the earthly half-brother of our Lord and Savior. However, unfortunately, during the ministry of Jesus Christ, he was a non-believer. And you talk about missing an opportunity, this is missing an opportunity for sure. 
He was uh, the brother of Jesus, was raised with him, and yet really didn't receive him until later. In fact, we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 7, it was the resurrection visit of Jesus. Isn't that kind of our Lord and Savior to come to his own brother, his own earthly brother, that is, during his, in his resurrected body? And it was that that led him to trans to salvation. Well, not only did he get saved, but he was transformed. I mean, you talk about a car going from zero to 60 in seconds. He went uh, from uh, zero to the Savior in just moments. Within a few short months after he got saved, after the resurrection, he was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. You'd say, well, how do you know it was a Baptist church? Well, because the Bible says that John the Baptist baptized Jesus. So he had to be a Baptist, right? John the Baptist didn't say John the Methodist. Well, that's a joke now, but anyway, because we love our Methodist friends and everybody else, but we want you to get in here. Here he was, Brother James, Pastor James of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. And so now he is very concerned for his people, like any good pastor would be. And people say, Oh, pastor, what are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you what, I, we are very concerned about everybody in our church and all those little lambs and sheep, and we're just so, uh, we pray, I pray so much. We, we have so many people calling and reaching out just to try to make sure we don't want to miss any of our little lambs. And so that's James. He was doing the same thing. And so during, in this wonderful epistle, the Holy Spirit speaks through this pastor, and he's going to tell them what to do during this time of uh, trials. Let's look at verse 2. In fact, uh, let's read it together, if you would, please. James chapter 1 and verses uh, 2 all the way through verse 12, all right? And so if you're there, if you're sitting there, why don't you read it with me? I think there's great value in hearing the Word and speaking the Word. The Bible talks about the word of faith that is in our mouth. And so uh, if you can read it out, do so. All right. James chapter 1, verse 2. We're reading from the King James Version. Let's read it out. Ready? Begin. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Verse 5 now, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of a low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. God has a plan. But the rich in that he is made low, and because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. Verse 11 now. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also the rich man fade in his ways. Blessed is that man who endureth temptation. And by the way, temptation is simply the word trials as well. For when he is tried, as I noticed, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now, if you will read this passage carefully, you will see that James is saying we can take our trials and we can turn them into blessings, or as our title is, we can turn them into triumphs if we'll really follow what he's saying. And so we're going to take a few weeks, three is my plan to unwrap this special gift from God. Now, if there was ever a people that were under pressure, it was the people in the first century. Roman, Hebrew, Christians from all over, they were under tremendous pressure. There were so many trials going on in their life. It was tough, tough days. And the fact is, God's people have always really had a tough go of it. You name it, from all the way from the time of the fall, all the way till now, these 6,000 years. In fact, uh, Job, the oldest book in the Bible, chapter 5 and verse 7 says, man is born to trouble. <laughs> born to trouble as the sparks fly upwards. You ever had anybody say, boy, you're just born trouble? Well, you can just tell them next time. That's very scriptural. <laughs> I'm trouble. Sparks always fly upwards. As humans, 
We are always in trouble. I'm either about to be in trouble, I am in trouble, or I just got out of trouble. But the fact is, as humans, young and old, male and female, problems, difficulties, distresses, they may ebb and they may flow, unfortunately. But the fact is, one thing is true, they are absolutely constant. In fact, the great apostle Paul said they are common. First, that's First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it is common to man. <laughs> the most common thing about humanity is that we're going to have trials in our life. And that's what David said in Psalm 22, that great messianic psalm. Verse 11, he said, oh God, be not far from me, for trouble is near. Trouble, trouble is always near. We certainly have been seeing it just seems like in such an accentuated way of recent. But the fact is, trouble is very common. In fact, it's so common, it is even inside of our homes. And I will tell you nothing I don't think is any more wonderful gift of God than a marriage. Because inside of a marriage, God brings family and love and intimacy and the deepest and most richest parts of life for sure. And yet, have you ever remembered what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28, if you get married, or when you get married, <laughs> you're going to have trouble in the flesh. Now, he wasn't saying don't get married. In fact, in those passages, he said, very true, it's a good thing to be married. But he said, you need to know something, that when you have people together in close proximity, you're going to have trouble. I mean, I'm, <clears throat> I'm so much trouble in my own life, I think I could be um, exiled on a South Pacific Islands still have an argument for sure. But the fact is, once you're close proximity with people, there's great pain. The reason is because when you love something greatly, there's also going to be great pain associated with that. <clears throat> now look at verse 2. Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation. That's an old English way, just meaning many different trials, a wide variety. In fact, the word there, the Greek word is many colored. The other day we were driving around and I was just looking at all the different colors of green. I mean, from light to dark, just dozens and dozens. I mean, probably more than that, but just dozens of colors of green. And really, uh, human life is the same way. Many colors of blue. Sometimes saying, people say, I'm feeling blue. Well, there's many colors of blue. The fact is, we're just so many different colors of trouble in our life. Now, these first century Jewish believers were suffering so many things. Social shaming was common. Civil liberties had been stolen away. Many of them were working and not being paid. Others lost their jobs. They were in legal battles, food shortages. Hey, that sounds like 2020 in America. They were in constant fear. Their lives were lonely. Notice what it says in verse 3. It was so bad that these physical things had become a trial of their faith. You know, it's one thing to have a trouble in life. But you know, as long as you're feeling good about it, you're keeping the faith, you're, you're going to make it. But boy, when your faith starts wavering and when it starts getting down deep inside... When it starts getting down into your gizzard, boy, I tell you one thing, it is a trial of your faith. Sometimes when, uh, especially men, uh, as they get older, you know, they have to go in and do a stress test. Got to make sure the heart's in good shape. And, um, so they put you on a little machine there and they hook you up and then they, you know, you're there doing all your little exercises. It's a stress test. They're basically trying to get you to have a heart attack right there. But it's called a stress test. Well... The fact is, uh, there's such a thing called a spiritual stress test, and God's trying to figure out where you are, and so He puts His faith meter on you. He puts it right over here, and He clips it right over here, and He says, okay, where's your faith? He said, now we're going to put you under stress, and we're going to see where your faith is. Oh, boy, look at that. Oh, boy, that's not good. That's not good. <laughs> you got a heart trouble. Your faith is way small, and so that's really what God is saying here, that trials Help us to recognize where our faith level is. They're a spiritual stress test. And for many of us, it goes beyond stress to freak out stage. I laughed this week. I guess I just read it this week. It just happened recently. I can't imagine it happened with all the social distancing going on. But in France, 
some employees, a certain company got together and wanted to give their boss a special treat. I mean, he was a, had been a great boss. And so they bought him a trip on a Air Force jet. And apparently the uh, French uh, Air Force allowed that. And so they put him on that uh, uh, jet there. He wasn't super excited, but he was trying to go along with it. He never really had a desire from what I read afterwards about it. But he got on in that jet and then they took off and he said those G-forces just began to press him. He absolutely freaked out. When he freaked out, he was grabbing for something and he grabbed the eject handle and he ejected him out of the jet plane. He comes floating down. It's all safe, but uh, that's called freaking out right there. Man, that's me. I'm, I'm ejecting out of this life. And Sometimes of late, uh, I can tell you, stuff gets on my nerves. I'm saying, I'm, I'm done, man. I'm pulling the eject button. But you know, the fact is, uh, I think we all get to feeling that way. So what do we do? Well, God said, turn those trials into triumphs. How do you do that? Six distinct actions. James says you're going to have to take if you want to turn your trials into triumphs. Number one, are you writing these down? By the way, you can go on our app there, get the, go to the home church Lodi, I think it's called. Or uh, Anyway, that's who we are. But uh, anyway, you can find it on your app store, but uh, you can find this there or you can write it down. But folks, get this. Get it. You got it? All right, good. Number one, if we are going to turn our trials into triumph, we have got to have a joyful attitude. And it may sound simple, but I'm going to show you exactly what God says. Look at verse 2. Brethren, talking to believers now, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. Brethren, work on your attitude. Now, some of us have swallowed at times, sadly, the idea that if you're a Christian, your life will be free from troubles. If your faith is strong enough, you'll have health and wealth like Mr. and Mrs. Smiley always are saying on the TV. But the fact is, folks, if you're a Christian, you may not always have health. We may not always have the wealth that we would like. And so God says, count it. You know what that word is? It is the word consider. Now get this, consider it a privilege to go through trials. Because in this trials, God is going to teach something. God is going to do something. God is going is to do an amazing work. Consider it. Count it. Somehow it is going to turn out good. Now, that does not mean that all things are good. And get this, in no way, shape, or form are all things good. We had uh, occasionally here at our church, you know, we're a light on a hill. Jesus said when you're a a Bible-believing church, and we must be a light on a hill because we've had several people that have broken in just last week. Uh, some combined slashed all of our signs. Uh, another person came by with a bullhorn shouting, you're, you know, from uh, bills above. I mean, it, things are always happening when you're out there in front. And yet, and I'm not saying those are good things. Those aren't good. Yet they work for good. Somehow God is going to make them good. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't accept everything as just saying, well, it's good. People say, oh, they stole from your church. They must have needed it worse than you. No, that was wrong. That was the evil. It's not good. They didn't need it. They shouldn't have done it. And, and uh, that's wrong. So, but still, somehow God works it for good. God said, here's the deal though. While you're working for change and while you're dealing with this scenario, just watch your attitude. God's not saying all things are good. He's just saying, think through the situation. Consider deeply. In fact, it means to think forward. That's exactly what he's saying. Think forward. Think forward. Now, when we think back, what do you call that? Now, for me, uh, when I think back, you know, back to those prehistoric ages uh, before mankind, you know, anyway, when you think back, that's called nostalgia, right? You think back to the old songs you used to listen to, you know, 
Or maybe you get into an elevator and they say you know you're over 70 when you get into an elevator and you start, you know, singing and dancing like that. You know, you're listening to elevator music and, you know, it's nostalgia. Or maybe you see somebody walking by with a, in my case, you know, you see somebody walking by with a pair of bell bottoms, you know, and some of these younger folks, you know, wearing bell bottoms, they just thinking they're so cool. I'm thinking, you know what, I had bell bottoms while you were not even here. You know, but anyway, I mean, you think back, the songs, the, 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 the food you used to eat, maybe you're from a certain culture, and it just brings back memories. That's called nostalgia. That's looking back. God said, here's what I want you to do. Here's how you can beat this trial. I want you to not look back. I want you to look forward. Get some, get some preliminary nostalgia or premature nostalgia. Before, because you're going to, when you get ahead, you're going to look back and say, look what God did. Isn't that amazing what, how God put that together? So James said, well, don't just do it when you get up there. Do it right now. I want you to forecast a positive outcome. I want you to count it. Count it. God is going to do something. Don't get stuck in the ugly details of the moment, get a big picture of what's happening in the future. God is at work. Take a step back and then let's go forward. As they say, never let a crisis go to waste. I mean, if this is going to be a crisis, let's do something with this. Let's then move forward. David Livingston was an amazing missionary of the 18th century. 17, excuse me, 19th century in the 1800s. He was from Scotland and he went down to Africa and he was uh, an amazing man of God. And his goal was to win Africa to Christ. And he was an ardent anti-slavery uh, advocate and he uh, did all he could to, uh, to bring that to a demise. He once said these words, and I love it because he was a man of great vision. He said, I will go anywhere provided it be forward. Hey, let's move forward. Let's move forward. When we're in the midst of an issue, let's move forward. Let's get an attitude that something forward is going to say, this is good. Let's look forward. And I, to me, I think one of the saddest things in the world would be to be an atheist. I mean, I just can't imagine what it'd be like to be an atheist or to be an agnostic. Why? Because they have absolutely nothing to look forward to. Well, by the way, that's why they're so ardently working right now to make sure that nobody dies. Because to them, death is the end. That's the end. I mean, that's, you know, we're all going to die. That's the end. That's just the beginning for God's people. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 13, you don't sorrow like others sorrow because they have no hope. They have absolutely no hope, but God's people have hope. Why is it? Because we're looking forward. Count it joy. Think forward. Think forward. So in the moment, it's not that it's good. It's not that it's right. It's not that it's pleasant. It's not that it's without pain. It's not that it should be happening, but think forward. I want you to think forward. Have a attitude that God is going to do something with this. That's what the writer of Hebrews said, chapter 12, verse 11, no chastening for the moment. No chastening for the moment. It's not easy. No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Of course not. It's grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, afterward, I'm waiting for this to do something good. Because it's going to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness, something very right's going to come out of this, which are exercised. Well, I don't like to be exercised. I don't really like exercise, frankly. I used to go to the gym. Man, that is no fun. I, I got to have some kind of exercise that's uh, more fun than that. God said that when, as believers, we look to the future, what do you see? As believers, we see righteousness, something very, very right. How can we count it all joy? How can we think forward? Then do this. Think there's something right that's going to come out of this. Something right. 
my dad, when he would discipline me, would say, son, this is good for you. <laughs> or when I'd have to go do something I didn't want to do, he would say, son, it's good for you. The other day I heard one of my children say, dad, you always told us this is good for you. Yeah, well, that's because my dad used to say the same thing. It's good for you, son. It's good for you. What was he saying? He was looking forward for me. Now, at the moment, it wasn't good. I can still remember he had a, he always had a funny little glisten in his eye when he'd take me to the doctor. And I hated needles. I still hate needles. And uh, I would say, Dad, they're going to give me a shot. Son, they, I don't think they'll give you a shot. Dad, they're going to give me a shot. I, I really don't think so. But he said, but if, it, if they do, he said, it probably won't even be long, longer than this. And uh, Dad, come on, don't mess with me, Dad. You know? and, uh, but son, it, it's good for you. It's good for you. It's not good for me. It is. He was looking forward for me. And so God's saying, look forward, get a joyful attitude. Because he said, get a right attitude, count it, think forward. And then he said, if you'll do that, you'll get joy. Count it all joy, not just little joy, all joy, all joy. God said, this is the greatest thing. He's going to do something good. He always does. That's what God does. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul said, man, life is tough. All kinds of junk going on, disloyalty, people saying terrible things. There's the all kinds of confusion going on with doctrine. And yet he said, amazingly, God is at work. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And therein I do rejoice and I will rejoice. I'm rejoicing right now and I'm going to rejoice in the future. He was having some premature nostalgia. He was thinking forward. He was counting it. Now, Paul didn't say all this false doctrine was good. He didn't say all this false doctrine was right. He didn't say all this false doctrine, you know, was a, was a wonderful thing for the church. No, he was saying it was terrible. But somehow, God was going to get the victory, and God was going to win. People say, oh, it's terrible that the churches can't meet. I agree, it's terrible. But you know one good thing? The bars aren't meeting either. <laughs> and they don't have broadcasts. <laughs> And another thing, all that false doctrine that's going on, you know, a lot of them aren't even uh, in business now. Thank God for that. You know, they say that you can tell a real diamond if it sparkles under the water. Some of you ladies are saying, really? You're going to probably go home, put your hand underneath that water and see if it sparkles. And if it doesn't, oh boy, your husband, his goose is cooked. He told you that was a, you know, Tiffany diamond there. And if it's not, whoo, there's trouble. There's trouble in River City. I know that. But here's what you do. You take that diamond ring and put it under the water. If it still sparkles, it's real. It's a real diamond. And that's what happens with God's people. The real believers, real diamonds of the faith. You put them underneath the water of troubles and trials and adversity. You put them in the deep water and you'll find out they'll just sparkle. And that's what God is saying here, that they shine in the tough times. This campus that we're in right here is an amazing place. Twelve acres, twelve beautiful acres in this uh, ultra high rent district of California. Just absolutely a miracle how God brought this together all debt-free. We weren't supported by any rich denomination or corporation or whatever. I mean, just the wonderful free will gifts of God's people and God's wonderful supply. But I will tell you, while it's a miracle, it is no, it's been no walk in the park, I will tell you. For years, we met in a public school, and then uh, God led us to a a wonderful warehouse that was uh, nice, but boy, I tell you what, it was sure cramped and difficult. All the while, we were looking for a place to land. We knew God wanted us to have a regional ministry, a worldwide ministry, and it's happening. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. But I will tell you this, every opportunity we went towards just went for a while, and then it was a dead end. We'd go into this property, another dead end, another property, another dead end. I mean, it continued on for several years until finally we finally had the opportunity, what seemed like of a lifetime, beautiful buildings, not a large parcel, but a beautiful buildings right there in the northern part of our uh, city there, Stockton. So there we were. 
we finally made an offer. It was within our um, mindset. It was within our, our, uh, our spiritual convictions. This place had sat empty for seven years. So this is amazing. God just brought it together. We proposed it to the people, talked to the people back east. The next day, the real estate agent called me and said, Pastor, I really don't know how to tell you this, but he said, after sitting vacant for seven years, someone paid for that building yesterday cash. I said, what? How in the world? I mean, I just like, you talk about a shut door, that was a slam in your face, you know, give you a bloody nose shut door. I mean, man, unbelievable. But you know what God was doing? God was working. And I remember that was so frustrating. That was, that was it for me. I mean, have you ever had it before? I've done, I've had it. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I've had it. That was me. I've had it. I'm done. And so I went aside and I had heard a pastor say, you know what you should do? When God puts you through the tough times, try to come up with benefits that God's doing. So with a bad attitude, <laughs> but with faith, I said, all right, Lord, tell me some good you're doing. As I began to write those things, five or six things God told me to write down. I did, and amazingly, those five or six principles became guiding lights for us. And within six months, God had brought this together. And now here we sit, a great beacon of righteousness and of Bible preaching and of a gospel church here in this, a miracle of God. But I will tell you, it came when we saw the benefits. By the way, those benefits became the guiding principles in our negotiations and all that we did. And it was just incredible. Somehow God brought us through when we thought forward, count it, Think forward. Number two, not only a joyful attitude, but a solid belief system, a believing, a cleaving to the great truths of God's Word. Let's look at verse three. Knowing this, know this, that the trial of your faith worketh patience. Knowing is the key word. Now, if you've been around church a little bit, you may know and remember that uh, the Apostle John, especially, and others had a, there was a real problem going on in the early church, a, a false doctrine called Gnosticism. It comes from a Greek word, gnosis, G-N-O-S-O-S, I think it is. It means knowing, and they were a very uh, proud group because they were the knowers. They were the knowers. We know everything, you know. They, they said, we have this deeper understanding of things. They were called Gnostics. This word know is the word Gnosis, but it is actually a compound word, two words. It is gnosis, meaning knowledge, but it means personal knowledge. And so here's, let's put it together. Paul is saying, with personal knowledge and experience, you'll know something that the triumph of your faith is going to work this great spirit of endurance, this patience. You can't get it any other way. Folks, there's just no other way. You can't learn to play golf by watching a video. You can't, I mean, you can get some principles, but you can't learn to play. You've got to hit the ball. You can't learn to cook by just by thinking about it. You've got to get in there and burn some things. Have you ever seen a job listing that says experience needed? Why? Because they know that there's certain things that only experience can teach. What things should we believe? I think there are two unalterable facts that we should believe. First of all, God has a plan for me. God has a plan for me. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, this thing, this trial, this difficulty, that it might depart. That's me. I want it out of my life. Make it depart. God said, no, I'm not going to make it depart. Verse 9. My grace is with you, is sufficient in this situation for you, for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul had this epiphany. He had this change of attitude, this wonderful sense. Most gladly, change, count it all joy. I get it. Most gladly, I will now glory in this infirmity. 
that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, therefore, remember whenever there's that word, therefore, there's a before. Therefore, I will take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecution because they're for Christ's sake. Things in our life don't happen willy-nilly. There's no such thing as bad luck. There's always a therefore. Too many today are like we were as kids. I would walk home from Conyer Elementary School in Visalia, California with my friends. I would walk all the way home. It wasn't a long way, but back then you could walk home from school as an elementary kid. We'd walk home. And the entire way from the elementary school to home, I would never step on the crack in the concrete. Not sometimes I did, but when we were playing our game, we wouldn't. Why? Because if you step on a crack, you, bake, you break your mother's back. You step on a crack, you make, break your mother's back. That was our little thing we'd say. Because it's bad luck. You'll, you step on a crack, you'll break your mother's back. Boy, folks, isn't that crazy? That's no different than a lot of us still today. You know, we have these crazy ideas. That's bad luck. No, there's no such thing as good luck or bad luck. Folks, we have a sovereign God who is overseeing everything that's going on in this life. That's what he's saying here. God is saying in this verse, he's saying there is a, we are going through this because there's a reason it is working something in our life. There's a wacko theology out there today called process theology. It would appear it's the basis of the emergent church you may have heard of of recent years. The idea behind process theology is that the, the God who we serve is not the God of the Bible, but in fact, He is a fluid God. Here's what they say. This is their famous statement. It is as true to say that God creates the world as to say that the world creates God. He's fluid. People today say, you know, gender is fluid. Well, <laughs> There's only, the only fluid is between the ears for people to say that. That's fact. Because God is not fluid. God is absolutely unchanging. The prophet Malachi thundered for, I am the Lord. I change not. God's glory is fixed. God's character is settled. He is established. He is all wise and all loving. God has a plan. Number one. The second unalterable fact that I need to accept is that God is affecting that plan. Not only is God all-wise, but He's all-powerful. Not only is He wise enough to have a plan, He's omnipotent enough to make that plan happen. As believers, it is our confidence in the Word of God that anchors us. Be anchored by the Word of God. Be anchored. So think forward. And then anchor yourself in the Word of God. And I will tell you, if you don't anchor yourself, you're going to be all blown over. Several years ago, we decided as a family, actually I decided, that we were going to try tent camping. Well, tent camping in the mountains, probably a good idea, maybe. But uh, I had the bright idea, we were going to do tent camping at the ocean. And so we did. We got this tent together and borrowed a tent and did this, got everything together. And we went there. And I will tell you, it was an absolute disaster because everything that could happen did happen. First of all, it was cold. Then it started raining, dripping on all of us. There was dirt in all of our food. We were never clean. It was terrible. And then of all things, the wind whipped up and it practically blew our tent over. It was absolutely terrible. I found out even though it may seem calm, you better anchor that thing down, especially when you're at the coast because the winds will blow. And my friend, I tell you, you better anchor your tent. You better anchor your tent because if you've got your tent anchored in your money, or you've got your tent anchored in your health, or you've got it anchored in some idea, you better get it anchored in the Word of God, because that is where our strength comes from. Back in the 1960s, there was a rebel singer by the name of Bob Dylan. He had a protest song called Blowing in the Wind. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind, he would sing. 
I used to sing that, never sang the rest of it, just would sing that one little phrase, never had any idea what it meant. But I began to realize and later realize that his concept was there's really no answer to life's problems. There's really no answer to life. Life's answers are intangible, like a leaf blowing in the wind. The answer, my friend, is just blowing in the wind. I will tell you one thing. If I was a leaf, then I might believe that. But I am not a leaf. I am a human. I'm created in the image of God. And God Almighty has a plan for my life. He has a plan for your life. If He has a plan for an old raven, if He has a plan for a flower, He has a plan for my life and your life. We serve a living, sovereign God who is intimately involved in everything we do. God is involved. Now, life is definitely cyclical in nature. I mean, think about it. it we feel good. We don't feel good. We sleep. We awake. Sound waves, you know, come, they're not just a constant. They're coming waves. Winds every day are variable. The tides come in and they go out. The fact of the matter is, Really, all of life is cyclical, if you've ever thought about it. There's no such thing as constant. Some people have the idea, we're going to start here, and the rest of our life, it's just going to be this wonderful, you know, wonderful to this place of glory. No, it is like this. At best, it's like this, and sometimes it's some market crashes of the mind, and other times it's terrible. That's why David said in Psalm 30 and verse 6, in my prosperity... I said, I shall never be moved. David said, I was living in a fool's castle. I had this idea that nothing was going to shake me now. He had been come to being king. He was rich and all kinds of things happened into his life. And that's how we get sometimes. We're feeling good. We've got money in the bank. And then all of a sudden, boom. I mean, who would have thought two months ago when unemployment was 3%, the best uh, it's been in 50 years, that within 60 days, it would be like the Great Depression. Unbelievable. But that's, my friend, life. That is an absolute just portrayal of life. In verse number 7, David went on to say, then I learned this fact. Psalm 30 and verse 7, Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. I thought I was this big old mountain, just big, giant, strong mountain, tall mountain, big mountain. That's what I thought. I thought my life was a mountaintop. I thought I was on the mountain. Then I realized the only reason I'm a mountain is because of you, God. It's your favor that makes my mountain. It's your favor that gives me that strength. It's you that puts me on top. That's why Paul cautioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 30, when you rejoice, be as though that rejoice not. He was saying, nothing wrong with rejoicing, nothing wrong with re celebrating and being happy in the good times, but just remember, things could change overnight. So just when you rejoice, remember, you may not be rejoicing tomorrow. And there's no way to think that it's always going to be good. Just always think ahead and then Anchor yourself with some bottom line truths. God has a plan and God is affecting that plan. Thomas Manton, the Puritan writer, said, God has only one son without sin, but he has none without suffering. And we are his sons and we are so often suffering as humans. Our human senses tell us value pleasure and happiness, our spiritual senses say value God and His work in our life. Sense says value earthly security. Quit the ministry. Go off and get a job and be happy with money in your life. Faith says keep serving God. Keep serving God no matter how bad the times get. Back in the 1970s in the church, Andre Crouch sang a wonderful gospel song, Through It All. Do you remember one of the phrases in that song? You remember it. If I didn't have any problems, I would have never known that God could solve them. Psalm 63 in verse 3 says, Your loving kindness is better than life itself. Better than life itself. 
The sweetest thing in life is knowing the grace of God. Here in our area where we live, we have a huge cherry crop. It is one of our most valuable agricultural crops. Several years ago, I was reading, and I have since talked with a few growers, and they have validated this truth, that in order for cherry crops to have their maximum sweetness and them to be able to get the highest possible dollar, they have to have a certain number of cold hours during the winter. In fact, they say they require 200 to 800 hours of sub-45 degree weather during the winter in order to develop the most beautiful of cherries. In fact, you could honestly say it this way, that the colder the winter, the sweeter the cherry. And my friend, that's exactly what's happening as believers. We're going through a cold winter. But bless God, God is sweetening this old cherry, and He's making us sweeter than ever. You know, there are a lot of upsides to being young. I mean, candles don't cost as much on your birthday, right? Man, for me anymore, you know, when it's my birthday, I practically have to get a loan to get all those candles, you know. They get a fire extinguisher, you know. They call the fire trucks, and, uh, you know, it's not as easy as it used to be. There's a lot of upsides to being young, but there's some downsides. And one of the downsides, I think, is you've not had enough trials to be as sweet as you could. Someone said to me, and said, have said several times, several have, and I am assuming it's a compliment. They said, Pastor, you know, I've known you for several years, others said decades, and I've noticed something about your preaching. I've noticed that as you preach, you've become more compassionate. And I will tell you, uh, I've always really had it in my spirit, but may not always been out there. But I can also tell you that over the years, all the junk we've been through, all the trials, all the heartaches, all the troubles, all the problems, all the adversity, they uh, either make you bitter or they make you better. They either harden you or they help you. They either make us or they break us. And it's up to us to either be a victim or a victor. And folks, these are crazy days. I'm telling you the craziest days I've ever seen in my whole life. I mean, but the fact is, that's very common, really, as believers. It's common in Scripture. And I can't say that there won't be troubles. And once we get through this, and we will get through it, thank God, there's going to be more trouble ahead. But if you'll remember two things, have a joyful attitude, meaning think forward, God's doing something, and then anchor yourself with some solid beliefs. Get the Word. Get the truths. Anchor yourself. Drive deep that tent spike down into the ground because your tent is going to start blowing. By God's grace, you'll turn your trial into a triumph. They say that the cocoon of an emperor moth is very, very tight. Emperor moths are absolutely beautiful insects, but to develop into a perfect insect, it must force its way through the neck of the cocoon by hours of intense struggle. Entomologists explain that the pressure that that moth goes through is a, it forces a life-giving substance into the wings. One person watching and observing this moth struggling to try to get out of its cocoon decided that they would help it. It seems like needless struggles. Help it get out of the cocoon quicker and get off to flying away. And so they took a small pair of scissors and snipped the cocoon, only to find out when they did that, that that little moth that came out of there kind of struggled for a while and never was able to fly. Because it was the struggle that forced life-giving energy into its wings to allow it to fly. I remember when one of our children were born, the doctor telling us that, you know, as hard as it is for that child to go through that birth canal. Going through the birth canal actually forces fluid out of the lungs of that little child. It is the sorrowing. It is the suffering. It is the trials wisely designed by a loving God that brings us great glory. I will tell us this morning 
that the processes we're going through right now are not easy, but by God's grace, we're going to get through these. Through it all, through it all, we're going to find the grace of God. I've asked our worship team to come, and they're going to begin to sing that song, Through It All, Through It All. And let me just say to each of you who are here this morning, listening, God bless you. I've just been praying for you. You can't believe how many hours I've just been weeping before the Lord, asking God to be for you. And I just, my heart hurts for you. I know that many people are struggling right now, some financially and some with uh, uh, health issues and other things and loneliness and God bless you. But know this, know this, know this, that through it all, God's grace is going to be there. God's grace is going to be for you. God's grace is going to come flowing into your life. Know this. He's there for you. We're going to make it through this, church. We're going to make it through this, America. And for those of you that are our leaders and are trying to make wise decisions, we're praying for you. We hope that you remember you're going to be held accountable by God. Don't hurt the faith of our little ones. Don't hurt the faith of these little ones. The Bible said it would be better for us millstone to be hanged about a neck than to offend a little one. Don't offend the people of God, my friends. All of us are here. We're saying, God, through this, we know you've got a plan for all of us. And the greatest plan of all is to know that you need Christ. If you're here and you're listening to me, you're an atheist, agnostic, and you thought Bruce Willis was preaching. Well, he's not. I don't know if he is or not, but I'm not Bruce Willis. But I'll tell you one thing. God has got your number. God wants you to be saved today. He wants you to be born again. He wants to invite you into his kingdom. And you can be saved forever. Name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You'd say, well, do I got to join your church? Nope. I wish you would. I hope you will. It's the right thing to do. To get into a good church. That's not what's going to do it. Well, if I'll give a thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars can I go to heaven no that's not going to do it although it'd be a great way to invest in God's kingdom God wants you today to be saved pray this prayer dear Jesus save me be merciful to be a lost sinner and he will come into your life through it all through it all I've learned to depend upon your grace your word Through it all, Lord. Through it all. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. And now, Lord Jesus, I pray for those that are here, those that are struggling, those that are hurting. God, this morning, those that are wondering what's around the next corner, what next? Oh, God, be with them and encourage them and bless them today. Lift them, God, today and strengthen them. God, if we hadn't have gone through it, we wouldn't have known your grace. Oh, God, thank you for the plan you have in our life, and we trust you. We don't understand that it's not easy, but, Lord, we trust you. We're going to try to keep a good attitude with your grace and by your grace. And, Lord, today we ask that your blessings will be upon each, and that, Lord, through this whole thing we're going through, that, Lord, we'll find your grace, and we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.